Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. This show is going to be something where you are going to want to pay attention. This is a hot topic in a number of ways because it's something that people don't want to address, but yet it's something that people talk about all the time. With us today, our guest is a successful communication and public relations leader. He has more than 25 years of experience. He is a well-known writer, speaker, and he is a new author of the book, Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. That is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but it is so necessary. And I've got to tell you, the guest today is going to really share some things with you on how his world was shaken up in 2020 back in February of that year. And so I don't want to give too much more out. I want you to draw in, stop what you're doing, pay attention to what's going on, because this is going to be good. Welcome to the show, Neil Getzlow. Hello, thank you for having me. So appreciate it. I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you talking about a topic that is really spoken in a, the wrong way and really needs to, to be talked about in a way that brings people from an unhealthy place to a, a healthy place. And this is an area that sort of people think is taboo because most of the stuff that we're going to talk about today really has always stayed behind closed doors. Yeah. And I thank you for having me on because I, I do think there is some hesitance that I, I get as I'm trying to get out there and share my, my journey and my, my testimony and and talk about, um, you know, the, the book about, about what I've overcome over the past year and a half or so. A lot of great encouragement, right? But I do get a sense sometimes that it, it, it makes people uncomfortable or, you know, it's just, um, we all admit it's a problem, but nobody wants to, to step into the arena and talk about it. So it's, that's what we're going to do. It's very true. And my whole goal is to bring changes that go from unhealthy in our world to healthy. And it is so refreshing to talk to a man who wants to bring this out in the open and say, Hey, we are needing to address this particular topic. It is kind of taboo here, but so many people are dealing with this and some challenges oftentimes for those that want to make changes. And especially in the arena of sexual sin, they don't know who it is that they can like talk to or contact without being judged and getting the tools to make a change. And so just listening to this show is going to really bridge some healthy gaps between people who are married, people who are in um, other relationships that this has created a separation or a thorn in the relationship, not to mention for those alone that are dealing with this, this particular issue. So you had a chain of events that really is a wild chain of events that happened okay. to you and led up to this. Oh, unmasking. I call it unmasking. Yeah. I'm just, this is, this is just a crazy story that you have, but it's so awesome. Yeah. And, um, and it happened here recently. Yeah. Like you said, February, 2020. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, so we'll, we'll pull the curtain back a little bit, but the addiction that I suffered with was afflicted with for, gosh, most of, most of my life really, as I look back on it now, is pornography. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that addiction turned in that pornography addiction was started at the age of nine. Uh, we can we can go back and oh, unpack wow. that here in a little bit. Um, that ultimately led to becoming an addiction to like going out and, and buying sex from prostitutes mm-hmm. and a sex addiction. That addiction ultimately ultimately led me to a hotel room in Chicago on a business trip in February of 2020. Um where I had uh, set up an arrangement to go to go meet a prostitute in her hotel room in downtown Chicago and um, went to the hotel room um, after the meeting was over I um, was getting ready to leave and the door opens from the next room and um, this prostitute's partner comes out he looks like a Chicago Bears offensive lineman he's about six five three hundred pounds he's dressed in drag and he has his cell phone out in his hand. And on the cell phone, I can see it has my wife's social media account, has my wife's contact information on there. And he says, you're gonna have to pay us some more money or we're gonna call your wife. Oh. And like, like then obviously this was not the first time I had done this, but this is the first time I've ever been in a situation where I truly felt like, okay, the next few minutes are going to determine whether I live or whether I die. So how are we going to handle this? And You're being blackmailed. I, yeah. And I did not want to, I did not want the call to my wife being, yeah, we found your husband dead in a hotel mm-hmm. room, murdered by a prostitute and her boyfriend or whatever he was. So I, I did whatever I could to get out of that room. And as I like every like every few feet, I got closer to the door. I had to pay them more money, basically, to prevent you know, kind of like. So by the time I got to the door and was walking down the hall, I had to pay him, and I paid an extra nine hundred dollars to get oh. out of the room. Which, looking back on it, it's actually a pretty minor price to pay. But as I'm running to the elevator, I hear the door open up behind me, and they're yelling, "You're going to need to pay us more money, or we're going to call your wife." Mm-hmm. Well, so at that point, elevator opens, I jump in, get out of the hotel. And, and this is why I called the, the, the book Unmasked, because I went about my day, had my business meetings. Nobody knew what happened to me. I had all this stuff behind this mask, this mask that I had on my entire life, living behind these lies, and just went about my day. And you would never know what just happened to me earlier in the morning. And so, I, yeah. Let me let me go back a little bit because sure. there's so many questions that I'm sure that people are thinking as you're saying this because there's a lot of people who can identify with the situation in your shoes specifically. And then there's people on the other side asking other questions going now how can a person live you know in a facade and nobody nobody know what is going on, that there's any discrepancy out of what they see whatsoever. Yeah, I, I frankly, I look back on it now and I, I'm not sure how I was able to create this separate world. It was a secret world that I was living mm-hmm. in. But I, but I will say, you know, and, and, and there's, there's so many layers to this story to unpack. Go back to, I will say, we'll get to this part, like it's a faith-based journey. So, I, you know, I credit all glory to God and to Jesus mm-hmm. for rescuing me out of it. But and also another very important component was the mental health side of it and getting it professional counseling and, and talking to someone about it. And he helped me unlock yes. a really, really cool insight uh, about my childhood because I remember that when I met my 
counselor for the first time, he asked me this question and he says, Neil, what's the first thing you had to remember to do? You, you, what's the first thing you remember you had to learn to do when you were a little kid? So I thought, wow, that's an interesting question. And um, the answer was I had to learn how to be alone. And from there, that's where the pornography came in because I had all kinds of access to it in those younger days. So I, I had this hole in my heart. I tried to fill it up with the pornography, which never did, never filled me up. I just kept looking for it and looking for it. But being alone, you just get used to keeping everything inside and only mm -hmm. sharing the details that you wanted to share. Um, now, I, I would say, I think looking back, my wife probably would say, well, I, I probably came across as distracted over the okay. course of our marriage. You know, like I just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And that's an, another insight my counselors to share. He's like, I had so many lies and stories I was trying to keep straight in my head. Like, that's all I could think about. I had no time to have a real in-depth, meaningful conversation with anybody in my life. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I was afraid if I said the wrong thing, it was going to unravel this entire lifetime of a secret life that at the time I wasn't ready to give up. What is very fascinating about this is this is more common than what most people realize. This has been an ongoing struggle for many people for many years. And there has been groups in the Christian arena that have tried to bring forth the topic of pornography addiction and why it can be so detrimental to a family and to a person. And because it has stayed sort of in that arena and it hasn't crossed over to just a public in general, I think it hasn't reached as many people to understand that this really is an unhealthy part of life. Because like you said, there are so many layers to this. And the, I mean, the biggest thing is that you, you have a secret, you have these secrets going on and you have to level them where you have, you can't engage fully with people around you because you're worried, like you said, about all of the things that are going to be exposed. Mm -hmm. yeah. And at the same time, the situation that you deal with, you need to take one step further to sort of replace something that you've become I guess comfortable with maybe would be the, you're is familiar as comfortable. So now you need a little bit more and it goes from just looking then to now acting upon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it's just, it's like any drug. It, it, it impacted me just like, uh, you know, being addicted to a hard drug or being, you know, having the power of alcohol over you. Like it impacted me the same way. I just, the more I, the more I sought it, and the more I looked at it, the more I wanted. And like, and then, like you said, just then you have to act on it. And you have to take mm -hmm. more and more risks in order to, to try to satisfy again what is this hole in your heart that you just can't satisfy until you know God. And so, um, yeah, so <laughs> I like to say this encounter in Chicago was the first of three different shots to the head by, with a two by four from God. Really? Because so. So going back to that story, I make it home to Kansas City. They never called back. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. I made it. I survived. Amy's not going to find out. I can carry on my secret life. We're all good. Uh, but then three days later, this is Sunday, March 1st, 2020, exactly 9.30 p.m. 
my phone starts blowing up with text messages from this couple. And they say, you have 15 minutes to pay us more money or we're gonna call your wife. And I'm, again, I'm thinking, why would they, why would they call her? If once they call her, there's no more money coming from me. So I'll just ignore them and, you know, keep stringing them along. What are they going to get but, out of this? If, right. If, yeah. Uh, but I was, that's pretty naive because I'm assuming once they realized I was a, a dead target that they would just blow me up and move on. And that's what they did. Exactly 15 minutes later, I hear the phone ring upstairs in, in my wife's um, room and, um, I hear the kind of the muffled sounds of the conversation and then the stairs, the, the steps coming down the stairs, down the hallway and in my office getting louder and louder. And then she just bursts in the office and she's like, are you cheating on me? Oh. So they obviously the, this couple did call her and, and tell her everything that happened. And I did what any addict would do in that situation. I lied. You denied. This is mm -hmm. the first time I've ever done anything like oh. this. It'll never happen again. Wow. Like. I'm sorry. Like I, I was more sorry that I was caught than I was sorry about the evil I was bringing into my world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, Amy was very confused, but I, I think she initially was like, okay, I, I believe you, I think. And now, of course, remember now, think about this. This is March 1st, about two weeks later, COVID-19 is in full effect and now we're locked down together for two months because both of our careers kind of got sabotaged for, um, for a couple of months. So that, you know, that happens in Chicago and now we're locked down trying to deal with it. But um, again, like I said, God hit me in the head three times. I didn't listen the first two times. So the second time this happened, this is about six weeks later and um my addictions flare up again. And I set up an appointment with someone I know in Kansas city that I had an arrangement with. Okay. And I, I did all this on my computer, on my laptop. And Amy does not have at the time did not have access to my passwords or any way to get on my phone or my computer, because I knew if she did, like she, she would see all of my secrets. So I kept this guarded, like, you know, like, like you would never, like you couldn't believe. And like, I just never, um, I didn't let her near anywhere near my my laptop and I lock it whenever I leave the house. So I go out to go meet this other person. Not 10 minutes later, my phone starts blowing up. This time it's Amy. She's texting me the images from my computer because I left the house and the computer was unlocked. She found it. And I'm thinking there's like, how did this happen? Like, that was my first thought. Like, I lock the computer. I normally right? so careful. So that was the second time God okay. started put a roadblock in my way to see what I would do. So of course I didn't make it to that appointment. I turned around, came home. Honestly, I don't remember what I told Amy at that point. It was just a bunch of nothing lies. And she did not believe any of what, when I was telling her rightly so. And um, we went to bed that night. And before we went to bed, she said, Neil, if, if you want to save this marriage, you need to ask God for help. That's the only way you're going to be able to save this marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll pause here and just add in this um, side note. Um, we got married nine years ago. Before we got married, we both were non-believers. So okay. we were living a very sinful life, enjoying everything that the world had to offer, partying together. It was great. And um, three months after we got married, Amy told me she um, is now a follower of Jesus and is born again. Now, not only was that just 
just a shot out of nowhere, but I'm also, let's, I'm going to um, share this fact. I grew up in a Jewish household and would okay. consider myself an atheist at okay. the time. So here I am thinking, okay, I, my wife is now born again Christian. What, what do I do? Uh -huh. And so, um, so that leads me back to, you know, when she says, you got to pray because what I didn't know at the time, she'd been praying for me ever since she got saved and praying for me to get saved. Oh. And so, um, so we go to bed the next morning, I wake up, she's already gone out of the house. She didn't tell me she was leaving. So I was like, well, this seems like a, as good as time as any to, to ask God for some help. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And I just said, God, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, I'm at the end of my rope. I have nowhere else to go. I have no way out. Like, just give me a sign that there's help out there mm -hmm. and, and let me know. And as soon as I finish that prayer, the garage door pops open and it's Amy. And I didn't realize it, but Amy, Amy is the key to this whole story. Um, so she, she comes inside and I tell her, Hey, I prayed, you know, I, I really want to work on things. Um, you know, uh, I want to break free from, 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 you know, these, what I'm doing. I still hadn't completely, I had not confessed really to anything at this point. Okay. Um, she kind of reluctantly agreed, you know, like, you know, she, cause she doesn't want to leave and get divorced. And so we go along the day later that afternoon, here's the third and final shot to the head from God. We're sitting on the couch and Amy gets a random Facebook message from some guy we don't know. And all it says was, do you know, Anil gets low. That's all I, that's all I needed to hear. I don't know why, but that triggered something inside me that I said, I've got to confess everything to Amy. Like, this is it. Um, it's time. But I, what I didn't know, but what we found out later is that guy happened to be the ex-boyfriend of another woman that I had an arrangement with. And he had all the receipts of all the text messages and, and money exchange that we had and was starting to text them to Amy. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, I sit Amy down and I, as I describe in the book, I basically threw up on the floor of our marriage and I told her everything, the addiction to pornography, the addiction to sex. And, you know, just like after you throw up, you feel very relieved and you actually feel a lot better. I was feeling very relieved, but I was not sure what was going to come out of Amy's mouth next. I mean, I was expecting her to just say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm out of here like this is because uh -huh. I didn't, under, I don't, under, you know, didn't at the time, didn't understand how strong her faith was and, and what it meant to what forgiveness meant. So the next words out of her mouth were, were transformative for me and for our marriage. And she looked at me and she's like, Neil, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for yours? Mm -hmm. I forgive you. And that was the moment the chains came undone. That wasn't Amy talking to me and forgiving me. That was Jesus working his will through her. Yeah. Forgiving me instantly broke the chains of addiction and I have not looked at porn since that day, April 14th, 2020. I've not been tempted to look outside my marriage. Like all that sin and addiction just gone. My life completely changed that day. And uh, it's the greatest, yes. greatest gift I ever got. The Holy Spirit is pretty powerful on how, yeah. how he works. You know, there's a couple of questions that come to mind because I know that women who are listening to this say, okay, there's a trust issue here. I mean, I don't know if I could 
I can forgive, but I don't know if I can trust again. So that's the first one. And then the second one is oftentimes people are more apprehensive about what someone is open to understanding. And so they tend to not talk about it. And so with you and Amy having been kind of worldly and you, like you said, kind of the party lifestyle, do you think if you had shared with her at that time, she would have been more receptive to what was going on? Uh, receptive meaning like, meaning like, okay, I can understand this. So, um, you know, maybe there's things that I can do to help you with our marriage with this. I, I mean, different things, or this is because it's so personal to what is going on internally that you don't even want to share that with anybody else. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I mean, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. If, if this happened at a different time in our life, because I also feel like, um, like it happened in 2020 for a very specific reason, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people are impacted by COVID and people we've, we've lost friends and family because of COVID. Amy and I viewed 2020 as a blessing because God looked at me and he said, I'm going to take away everything you love, everything, the porn, the sex, the booze, mm -hmm. the pot, the sports, your friends, they're all gone. What are you going to do with your life? And this, to me, this is the one time, one chance for me to reset. And, and we talk about this all the time, Amy and I do. Like if, if COVID-19 wasn't around, if we weren't sort of in this lockdown position for a few months, would, would I still be saved? Or would, I have, would, would the power of Jesus taken hold of me? And the honor, honest answer is no, because I would have had an escape hatch. I would have had an escape hatch back to the world. Understandable. Where, you know, where mm -hmm. I just, it never, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have taken hold of my heart. The world would have gotten, you know, the enemy would have gotten back hold of my heart. Um, but your, your question about trust too, um, like Amy forgave me, which was powerful, right? But that did not absolve me of any sort of accountability, responsibility. Like I had to absolutely earn every ounce of trust back to back uh, because I had burned it all to the ground. And so um, it took, we've had so many conversations uh, about how we do that. And, you know, going to counseling was one way we did this. We put a location app on our phones. She knows where I am at 100% of the time. She has the passwords to all my accounts. She knows what's going on there 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. That helps to build trust. Um, but I think what the, the biggest thing in my mind that has probably worked to build trust is that she can see the fruits that God is producing in her life and the change mm -hmm. that he's made in me. Mm -hmm. Because I went from someone who went out to the bars with his friends, left Amy home alone all the time. So I love drinking. I love watching sports nonstop um, for most of our marriage. I turned away completely from that life to a life where we're spending Sundays instead of watching football, we're, we're watching like online sermons. Mm -hmm. We're reading the Bible together. We're praying together. Like these are things to me, like just two years ago would be, I would be crazy for me to think that I was doing and I was loving to do. And that's how transformative that this change has been. 
she can see, like I, I tell her all the time, if you don't, if there's something you don't trust me about, all you got to do is look at this book I wrote because mm-hmm. I cannot fake what is in this book. Sure. This book is real. Like the story we're living is real. And that's, that's why, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, why, why do you go and tell, why are you talking publicly about this? You know, and my answer is, well, because I have to, like, it, it, I'm compelled to tell the story because one, pornography and sex addiction is, is an evil, an evil thing. And I need to help people understand that and, and help draw men out of that. But, um, but also I've got to, I kind of tell why God has been so great in my life. Like, yes. I, I just, yes. I have to. Yes. I, I want to talk on both for men and for women in this particular situation. So for men who are at a point who say, okay, I'm going to come clean or I have come clean now. And now my wife or, you know, my girlfriend or, or whoever is asking me questions all the time, where I go, what I'm looking at. And, um, you know, and I can't, and I just can't take that. Can you share why that is so important to be accountable until the person that they're with can really rebuild that trust and feel comfortable again? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that was one, that was one of the hardest things for me at first when this all went down was you have you've got to strap on the armor and you've got to sit down and you've got to answer every question. You just have to let her answer the, ask the questions, but you've got to answer and answer honestly. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, like, there's no more secrets anymore. Like I've got nothing else to lose. I laid it all out there. So um, it, it's, it's just so important because for Amy, she, when this all went down, she turned into a detective. Okay. She, yes. She, I mean, questions. Yeah. yeah there's yes. questions everywhere on this questions she she um she would probably every day for probably two months she would look at my phone she'd be like a forensic scientist trying to uncover every crumb to my past and as much as I tried to scrub all that evil off of my phone I couldn't get it all so she would discover things from five six years ago mm-hmm. that um you know she's like well, what is this like you know and, and j- it would just start the process all over but that, I mean, that it's just, it's just important that you, you let your spouse, they have, this is part of the healing process. So you have to get, let that anger come out. You have to answer those questions. You have to let them ask the difficult questions. And it was hard when she would be, I'd be, she'd be scrolling through the, my phone and I could feel the anxiety oh, yeah. and the, the sort of the anger rising because I just like, what do you like? There's nothing here anymore. What are you looking for? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, here it comes. There's going to be more questions. I really don't want to deal with this. I've already confessed and, right. but it's going to come because that person is in a lot of pain. They're yes. trying to process how they've been deceived for so long. And they kind of feel in some ways, like they are a fool. Why didn't I see this? How come I didn't recognize this? What's wrong with me? The questions come then about that person instead of, which is where I want to go next to the flip side. And this is where women have to, um, come to a position of understanding that when a man comes and says he has a sexual addiction, whether it's to pornography, prostitution, or anything further, or both of those, or anything that emanates from this, it isn't about something that you have done wrong. 
this is something that stems back so far and is ingrained into that person. And they are dealing with it in a different way. This isn't about what you did. Exactly. Amy felt, Amy believed that all the time. She always felt like she wasn't pretty enough or I didn't find her sexy or any of that. And it, it really wasn't anything about that. I mean, and it could have been, I could have been exposed to gambling at the age of nine. And that was going to be, that was my, would have been my, you know, mm -hmm. outlet. I mean, it just happened to be porn. And this goes back to what my therapist helped me understand was this is part of a shame cycle I was in. Mm -hmm. And it started with, um, I'm alone. It's because nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. So I'm going to look at this pornography. I'm looking at the porn. I feel better but when I'm done looking at the porn. Uh, I feel such overwhelming sense of shame and guilt. No, mm -hmm. This is why I'm alone. This is why nobody loves me. And the cycle would just continue over and over again. So, um, but, but again, like I take, I take full responsibility for all my actions. You know, all the accountability is on me. I, you know, I had to stop blaming others for why I was using porn and, mm -hmm. and sex to, to lash out at, at the things in my childhood that were, were bothering me because, you know, my parents got divorced at, when I was the age of nine, moved into my mom's apartment. You know, she was working. So I was, that's how I got started to be alone. On each side of her nightstand, she had these two giant stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. So I'm home alone as a preteen. What, what am I going to fill my time up with? Sure. That's what I was filling up my time with. And, and that's how it starts. And it just becomes something that you, you, you want to break free from. Mm -hmm. And I want to, yeah. I want to share too about the cycle that you talked about, because mm -hmm. just to clarify for those that are listening, the way it kind of works is this, that if a person who has an addiction seeks it out for a release of whatever it is, anger, frustration, whatever, whatever it is that creates that behavior. When situations arise and they had found relief from the stress and the anxiety, even if it's a brief moment in that, um, later on when other situations happen that are similar or cause the same emotional trigger, then that person will seek those resources again. It doesn't have to do necessarily with the other person. And the other person might well say, well, now I've got to walk on eggshells because if I say something that causes that person to feel that way. But no, that is the accountability that you're talking about right now, where you're saying I've identified that this causes this, or this is why I've turned to this or why this escalated to this, but you've come to the point where you've said, I know this is such an issue now that I, I am breaking free from it because it's causing yeah. too many, it's causing too many problems for me, for my relationship and for other things that are coming down the pipeline. I mean, that you had three three wake-up calls, but oftentimes people have those wake-up calls and they don't see them. They, they're, they're not recognizable at whatever the timing is yours was. And then it came out for a specific purpose. And so I think that this is really an important issue to talk about because of how it affects both, both people and people as individuals that may not be involved with anybody that just strictly find themselves in the position that you're talking about. So for you to come out and share this and be so candid and vulnerable while you're exposing 
this and unmasking it. I, I am so happy that you're doing this. It really needs to get out there. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to share with, with your listeners. And like, I will say that our, our marriage today, I have the marriage today that I've always wanted. And um, that's because of God and what he's done in my life. And it's just, it's, it's just crazy. I, I still can't believe that this has happened to me. I was the most cynical, uh, unbelieving person in the world in February of 2020. And now to stand here today and to be able to, to share uh, about my journey is just still makes my head spin sometimes. Mm-hmm. How quickly like, that worked. like you, I'm Christian. I am totally believer and faith-based everything I do. I also work with a lot of people who may not be at that point yet. Yeah. And I want to, I really want to say something because this is addressing everybody, all the masses. And I want them to know that what they can obtain by reading your book and listening to what you're talking about is just as helpful to them, even if they're not at that receptive point yet. Yeah, and what I would say, what I've learned on, on my journey, even, even without the take out the faith piece for it, porn is an evil industry and sex work is an evil industry. And let's start with the men, the men on the side of the equation. Mostly it's men, but I know there's women who are have the same issue. But just speaking to men, like it it hurts you physically, it hurts you mentally, it hurts you financially. And I, now I believe it hurts you spiritually. Like there's so many dangers that, that go with it that you don't see. And you really need to think about what you're doing. But then also think about what's on the other side of the transaction. Those women who are trapped, who are trafficked, who are there against their will. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I, even to people who might be there voluntarily, I'm thinking about what it's doing to them physically, what it's doing them emotionally and spiritually. It's just... It's and look, we know it's like it was the oldest profession, right? Because it's in the yes. Bible. Yes. But it's it's an it's the it's the evil, it's the sin that just people can't escape from. And um no, it runs hope, deep. Yeah, and I hope my book helps people know like I was there and I get it, but, but you can overcome it. Um for me, I I asked God for help, he delivered, but I also sought professional counseling help. Like that was a key part of it too. Yes. And also, I will also say, and you kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the, the program, just talking about how you fill yourself up. Like, I think of it this way. When, when you want to get your body in shape, what do you do? You stop eating junk food, you go exercise, and you get yourself physically fit. I don't think we talk enough about what do you do to get your mind healthy? Yes, 100%. And instead of filling up on the junk food of the world, I canceled Netflix. I canceled cable TV. Uh, I canceled all my sports subscriptions. I'm filling up on the good, healthy stuff. Of what I believe is the good, healthy stuff of the world. I'm reading the Bible. I'm watching more appropriate shows. I'm not getting tempted by any of that. I don't have any room for any of that stuff. It's So it's not coming back. There's no room for it because I'm too busy listening to podcasts about from my favorite pastor or <laughs> yes, whatever theological. Um, or Rebecca sounds reveille. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. yes. No, it's what you're saying is so accurate because 
when it is said, you are what you eat. Most often we're thinking sugar, junk food, we should replace it with apples, but it's everything that we eat. Words, audio, video, things that we, you know, everything that's coming into our psyche, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of that um, is what we eat. We're feeding ourselves with those things. And I really want to point out also that just because society has made a, a mint in this industry and they have made it so enticing for people to fall trap and become addicted. I want to say that, um, that that doesn't mean it's healthy. No, it's not. And I will say like the, the culture seduces you. It is actively mm -hmm. trying to seduce you into whatever they're promoting, whatever lifestyle or whatever thing they're promoting, the culture is after you. The way I look at it, I turned around instead of culture canceling me, I went out and I canceled my culture. And I, didn't look, awesome. I didn't look back. I, I love it. it. I don't, I don't miss it at all. Um, and I don't, you know, and I know like, again, and I, I know that my, my journey is very unique that some people continue to struggle with these things, but you just got to take steps. You, you got to take steps. You got to hold yourself accountable. You got to find the right people to talk to, um, but just don't, don't take off the mat. I mean, take off the mask. Don't keep it bottled up inside because that's where it just eats away at you. Yes. And I think that when people go and talk to somebody and unmask themselves, they're going to find that there's more people who are willing to help them overcome and have a healthier lifestyle than what the fear was that prevented them from talking about it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll also say too, again, this is just my experience, the, the support and, and, and love I got from my church community. So mm -hmm. this is the first time I'd ever gone to a church and if any ever, right? Like, and so to, to see the, the, the love and compassion from everybody was also another way for me just to, to get supported. Um, it was, it's, it's overwhelming the amount of encouragement that Amy and I have gotten from our, from our testimony um, with members of our church community. So um, we're very grateful for that as well. And I am so grateful, Neil, that you were able to write about this, that you have overcome this. You're sharing what needs to be talked about. You're candid and open and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in front of all the masses. And I want to thank you so much for doing that and also for sharing your journey with us here today. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It's, just, it's, it's awesome to have a chance to, to try to help people and, and give people hope and encouragement. Because if it, if it can happen to me, it can happen for you. I mean, that's what my, what's what Amy would always say to me. She's like, what do you got to lose? Like if, if, if you're right, then you're, you're, then you're out and you're out nothing. But if I'm right, you lose everything. Yes. Yes. Where can the audience grab hold a copy yeah. of your book and where would you like them to connect with you? Sure. If you go to neilgetslow.com, N-E-I-L, I'll hold it up too for Perfect. the viewers, neilgetslow.com. And uh, if you go there, you can, um, there's a little bit more about uh, my journey on there. Um, there's links to my Facebook and Instagram accounts so you can connect with me on there. You can also send me an email 
you can also buy the book there. And um, if you buy it off the website versus you can find it on Amazon, but if you go to my website and buy it, uh, Amy and I are donating $5 from every book sold to Run to Stop It. It's an organization in Kansas City that's fighting against sex trafficking. We're obviously very passionate about that. Love now. this. Yeah. Love this. And so please, please do that. And we, it's a great organization. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a problem that I, just gets overlooked so often. So we're just, we're just blessed and humbled that we can raise, think about it. What what the enemy meant for evil, absolutely, God has taken it and turned it into good. And that's that's what we hope to do. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of Rebecca Sounds Reveille. This was a heavy topic, and I know that you know someone within your circle that is dealing with something. And you may not even be able to put your finger on it, but I bet after just us talking a little bit here today, you're going to have some light bulbs going off. And if you yourself are in a situation where you are on the same side as Neil is, or you're on the other side and you have a partner that you already know, or that things are slipping out there and you want to have that, that talk, Neil is a great person to get in touch with, and he'll be able to give you some tips on how to get that conversation started and get the help and all of the things that you need, but definitely grab a hold of a copy of his book, because I think you're going to be having your mind open and it's going to give you a much broader sense of what's going on and knowing also how to deal with the situation regarding trust and other things that we talked about here today. I really hope that you take an opportunity to listen to the show again that you forward this out to your friends, your family, everybody that you know on social media and everybody that you don't. Thanks for tuning in.